Jesus is the Good Shepherd and the Son of God who calls, feeds, protects, and preserves His sheep and gives them eternal life. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. In just a moment here, I'm going to start reciting a very well-known passage of Scripture that has brought great peace and comfort to men and women for thousands of years. And no doubt, many of you are very familiar with it, and you may have even memorized it. So if you know it, recite it along with me. David says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. Of course, that is Psalm 23, written by David. And David himself was a shepherd when God called Samuel to anoint him as the next king of Israel. And David knew well what it meant to be a shepherd. And this psalm is a beautiful testimony to the Lord as our shepherd, a theme which is our major focus here today. We're continuing here in our series, Unique, the Life, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is a harmony of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, put together in the order as suggested in this book, One Perfect Life. We are continuing here then today with the Good Shepherd. Jesus is the Good Shepherd. Our text is in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 39. The Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 39. And what's the big idea? What is the main thought that I want us to take away from this message here today? Well, it is this, that Jesus is the good shepherd and the Son of God who calls, feeds, protects, and preserves his sheep and gives them eternal life. He's the good shepherd, the Son of God. He calls, feeds, protects and preserves his sheep and gives them eternal life. Before we look at that passage in John, a little context here. God had put spiritual leaders or shepherds over his people, Israel, and they were called to care for God's people. They were to spiritually feed and protect and lead God's people. But unfortunately, many of them were very poor shepherds. They weren't good shepherds. They were poor shepherds, false shepherds. And so God declared that he himself then would be the shepherd of his people. 
And about 600 years before the coming of Christ, the prophet Ezekiel recorded a powerful prophecy in which the Lord declares that he himself would be the shepherd of his people. And we're going to put it up here in just a moment. This passage is in Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. And as we read through this here, I want us to listen to this stinging indictment that God makes against the bad shepherds of Israel, what he accuses these bad shepherds of, and how then he himself then would be the shepherd, and what he would do. This is Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 through 16, as well as verses 22 through 24. We're told here by Ezekiel, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd, And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself 
will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. Interestingly, my servant David, did David live at this time as Ezekiel was writing? No, he was long gone, hundreds of years before this. So who is this servant David that he speaks of? Hmm, we're going to find out. Stay tuned here. So shepherds and sheep in ancient Israel. Comparing people uh, to, uh, to being sheep and shepherd, that was a common theme in the Middle East. Uh, kings and priests were called shepherds and their subjects sheep. And the Bible makes frequent use of this picture. And many of the great leaders of the Old Testament era were, in fact, shepherds themselves. Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and, of course, David. And as national leaders, Moses and David were both shepherds over Israel. They were literal, physical shepherds at one time, but they also then became spiritual shepherds over God's people. And some of the most famous passages in the scripture then employ this motif or this picture of sheep and shepherds here. Psalm 23, we just recited that earlier this morning. Isaiah 53 also, Luke chapter 15 and others. And here in our passage in John chapter 10 then today, Jesus develops this shepherd and sheep analogy in several ways for us. In the previous chapter, last week, we saw Jesus' contrast of the Pharisees with the man born blind. The Pharisees, they were spiritually blind while claiming insight, but in fact, they were false shepherds. Here was this man who was physically blind, but Jesus healed him, and he was not only able to see physically, but then he was also healed spiritually, and he was able to see spiritually as well. Well, meanwhile, here, the religious leaders of the day, the shepherds of Israel, they could see physically, but they were spiritually blind. They could not see, but yet they claimed to be able to see, and they were no true shepherds at all. They were bad shepherds. They were false shepherds. And so Jesus then, as the true shepherd, the good shepherd, he then came to seek and to heal. And he declares that his sheep will hear his voice and respond to his call. So let's look at John chapter 10. John chapter 10, starting in verse 1. There we're told, Jesus saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Do you understand what Jesus was saying there? But many of those listening, they did not understand. They did not understand the voice of the shepherd. They did not hear the voice of the shepherd. So these verses here that we have just read, these describe a mourning shepherding scene. A shepherd would enter through a gate into a walled enclosure, which has several flocks and one sheep pen. You know, there were a number of sheep, and they, of course, had their own flocks, but they would gather together all their sheep into this one large enclosure, this pen. And then the shepherd would come in, and he would call for his sheep, and the sheep of his flock would recognize his voice, and the sheep of that flock would follow the voice of their shepherd. They would not follow the voice of someone they did not recognize. And oftentimes these sheep, they even had names for their sheep. Uh, do any of you have, uh, you, I'm guessing if you have a pet, you have a name for that pet, don't you? Right? Absolutely we do. Well, sometimes then too, they would have names for some of the sheep. And the shepherd would call them by name. And the sheep would recognize their shepherd's voice and come to them. See, the sheep apparently were more like dogs in that regard, not like cats. How many of you know cats? They may or may not come when you call them, right? A dog inevitably will, will, will come just about every time you call them, right? A cat, not so much. But sheep too, they will call. They will come when they are called by name. And so then the shepherd would do this and he would call them and the sheep would recognize their shepherd's voice and come out of the enclosure then with him. And so Jesus then says, then the shepherd, the shepherd comes in through the gate. There's several flocks in there. And then anyone who would come in any other way than through the gate is doing it for no good purpose. They have some other uh, thing in mind. So the shepherd has the right to enter the sheep pen and the watchman would open the gate and the shepherd would come in, call to his own sheep by name, call them out from the other flocks, and they would follow him. So shepherds knew their sheep. They knew them well. They would recognize their shepherd's voice and go to him. And he would lead them out of that pen and take them into a pasture. And there they would be together as that flock then. He goes out toward the fields and the sheep follow the shepherd out into the fields to the pasture where they will be fed. If a stranger enters the pen, the sheep run away from him because his voice is not familiar. And so the point then that Jesus is making through this figure of speech. Now, Jesus is describing actual conditions of what would happen with human shepherds and and sheep, right? But is Jesus only talking about human shepherds and sheep? No, he's talking about a spiritual shepherd and spiritual sheep, right? So this tells us then how the shepherd, the good shepherd, forms his flock, that he calls to them. They hear his voice, and they come out of the pen, and they follow him into the pasture land. 
So people come to God because he calls them. And their proper response then to that call is to do what? To follow him. To come out and follow him to where he leads them. But this spiritual lesson was missed by many of those who heard Jesus, even though they certainly understood that literal shepherd-sheep relationship, they didn't understand what Jesus was saying spiritually here. And so in their blindness, they could not see that Jesus, he is the shepherd. And the sheep then are those who follow him, who hear his voice and follow him. So he goes on to say in John, 7, or John 10, verse 7, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And, and this is really good news right here, folks, (laughs) and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. And so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. How many of you are following him and what he's saying? Can you bet there were a lot of people back then, though, listening who weren't following what he was saying? I bet even his own disciples weren't quite sure of some of the things he was saying there. He has sheep of another flock? What? He will go and call them, and they will go join together to be one flock with one shepherd? Hmm. What's that talking about? The church, Gentiles, Jews together, one flock, right? So he says what? There was, again, a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon, and he is insane. Why listen to him? But others said, 
These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So we saw the voice of the shepherd, and now we see the ministry of the good shepherd. Not the bad shepherds, the false shepherds, but God said he himself would be the shepherd. And now Jesus declares, here I am. (laughs) I'm the shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. So Jesus then takes this shepherd and sheep analogy then and develops it here for their understanding. He says, "After after a shepherd's flock has been separated from the other sheep, he brings them out of the fold, what do you do then? You take them to pasture. You take them to a place where they can feed and get water, right? So near the pasture, though, there was often an enclosure for the sheep. And the shepherd would take his place in the doorway or the entrance and function as the door or the gate. Have you ever had that special? If you're coming in here, you've got to come through me first, right? Well, that was literally the case. If a wolf was going to get at the sheep, you had to come through the shepherd first, right? So the shepherd then served as the door or the gate. And Jesus says he is the door. He is the gate. The sheep can go out to the pasture in front of the enclosure, or if they're afraid, they can retreat into the security of the enclosure. But the shepherd was the door the gatekeeper. And so the spiritual meaning here is that Jesus is the only gate by which people can enter into God's provision for them. And when Jesus said, all who came before me were thieves and robbers, he was referring to those leaders of the nation who had not cared for the spiritual good of the people but only for themselves. Do we have persons uh, today who are shepherds of the church, but they're really not caring for the church, caring for the needs of the church, but they're really caring for themselves? Sure. So Jesus then, he is the good shepherd who then provides for his sheep and he provides security for his flock as well from enemies. He also provides for their daily needs. The sheep come in and go out and they find pasture. But the thief, that is a false shepherd, cares only about himself and not building up the flock. He steals sheep in order to kill them, thus destroying part of the flock. He's using and abusing the sheep for his own ends, his own purposes not truly caring for them. But Christ is the good shepherd who has come to benefit the sheep, to feed the sheep, to protect the sheep, and even to lay down his life for the sheep. And he gives life, which then is not constricted, but is overflowing. The thief takes life. Christ gives life to the full. We're told there in John 10, 10, what? The thief comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. But Jesus, he came to do what? I came that you you might have life and to have it abundantly. I love uh, this, uh, what one Bible commentator says here 
on John 10.10 about this, how he has come that we might have life and have it abundantly. Listen to this. He says, Jesus calls his followers not to a dour, lifeless, miserable existence that squashes human potential, but to a rich, full, joyful life, one overflowing with meaningful activities under the personal favor and blessing of God and in continual fellowship with his people. What a great way of fleshing out abundant life. What is this abundant life? Let me read that again. Jesus calls his followers not to a dour, lifeless, miserable existence that squashes human potential, but to a rich, full, joyful life, one overflowing with meaningful activities under the personal favor and blessing of God and in continual fellowship with his people. See, Jesus has come in order to give us our best life now. Okay, how many of you know what I'm referring to there? No, speaking of false shepherds, right? No, no. I agree, Jesus has come to give us abundant life. But not the best life now that the false teachers promise us, which is what? Health and wealth and earthly uh, prosperity, all of that, right? So there's a book out, Joel Osteen, Your Best Life Now, about how God wants you to be rich and all of that, right? No. But he does want to give us abundant life. He does want to give us abundant life. And might I suggest that abundant life, a rich, full, joyful life, overflowing with meaningful activities under the personal favor and blessing of God and in continual fellowship with his people, that is an abundant life. But it doesn't mean that it's an easy life or a trouble-free life, right? He has not promised that we would be spared all hardship or pain. But I do believe that he wants us to experience this abundant life. It is a, dare I say it, a biblically happy life. I believe God does want us to be biblically happy. Now I want you to stay tuned for more on this because this is something I've been working through uh, biblically, theologically, but also in my own life, uh, a little study. And this is probably coming to a church near you soon, a Sermon series on biblical happiness. Does God want you to be happy? It's probably a shame that I've actually had to struggle with that for a while. Does God really want me to be happy? Should that really even be a question? He does. But it's also true, God does not spare us from pain or hardship or difficulty, though, does he? But I do believe he wants us to be happy. He wants us to experience abundant life. But we need to understand that in the full context of the fullness of biblical teaching on that, which is why I say stay tuned on that. So Jesus then develops this sheep and shepherd figure in another way. When evening settled over the land of Palestine, danger lurked everywhere. In Bible times, there were lions, Wolves, jackals, panthers, leopards, bears, hyenas. These were common in the countryside. And they were a threat. They were a danger to the sheep, weren't they? And in fact, the life of a shepherd then was a very dangerous life because of this. 
But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd who protects his sheep from the wild, ravenous wolves and animals. In the Old Testament, God is called the shepherd of his people. And here Jesus proclaims that he is the shepherd of his people. He is also called the great shepherd and the chief shepherd. So Jesus is the good shepherd, who in contrast then with the false shepherds, this good shepherd, he owns the sheep. Does Jesus own you? He does. He bought you. He owns you. He bought you with what? His own blood. The highest price he could pay, right? He owns you, right? Some, uh, not too long ago, there was a certain quarterback in this area for a team up north a little ways who had a pretty good record against the uh, Chicago Bears. And this quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, he said what? He said to the Bears, to Bears fans, what? I own you, right? You remember that? Okay. Well, he's no longer with the Packers. He's with the Jets now, but... But that kind of got under a lot of Bears fans' skins, and it kind of bothered me too, but, but was he wrong? No, he had a pretty good record against the Bears, didn't he, right? So he may have owned the Bears or owned the Bears fans in the Bears fans' heads, but Jesus is the good shepherd. who He owns us. He says, I own you, and he paid for you with his blood, right? So he owns us. He cares for us. He feeds us, he protects us, and he died for us. He gave his life. Meanwhile, the hired hand, the one who's working for wages, doesn't have the same commitment. And when danger comes, they run away. Because why? They're selfish and they only care about themselves. They don't truly care for the sheep. Ultimately, a false shepherd is more about himself and not the sheep, right? Israel had many false prophets, selfish kings, imitation messiahs. And the flock of God suffered constantly from their abuse. But in contrast with them, the good shepherd has an intimacy with his people and a personal interest in his sheep. Just this past week, there was a uh, documentary on. I have not had a chance to see that. I've only seen like the first 15, 20 minutes of it so far. Uh, but there was a documentary on that was called The Secrets of Hillsong. And it starts off, and, you know, and it's, I, I, I don't know who exactly is behind this, what they're producing, or where this is going to go. I have an idea or two. Um, but it's about some of the scandals that have hit Hillsong Church, and in particular Hillsong Church in New York City, uh, with the pastor there, Carl Lentz, former pastor there. Um, but it's interesting, though. The opening quote of this says puts up on the screen there, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And a little bit later then, we see there, the question is asked, aren't the shepherds supposed to take good care of the sheep? Yes, they are. Jesus is the good shepherd who takes good care of the sheep. Jesus says, I know my sheep. And that stresses his ownership and his watchful oversight. And he says, my sheep know me. 
which is a picture of what? That reciprocal knowledge of an intimacy with him, with God. And it is modeled on the loving and the trusting mutual relationship of the Father and the Son. Jesus' care and concern is evidenced then by his prediction of his coming death for the flock. Sometimes shepherds would willingly give their life protecting their sheep from danger, and that is what Jesus did for us. He willingly gave his life. Nobody took his life from him. He willingly gave it up. But then Jesus says he has other sheep that are not of this fold. And who are they? Gentiles who would come to believe in him. That his coming death would bring Gentile sheep along with Jewish uh, sheep into this one flock together. That these Gentiles would hear his voice. They also would listen to him. And Jesus continues to this day to save people as they hear his voice. Jesus goes on to say this, or we're told later, John 10, verse 22. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. And so the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Have they been paying any attention at this point, right? And Jesus answered them, I told you. And you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even as though, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father." And again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. So we heard the voice of the shepherd, the ministry of the good shepherd, and then hear the ministry of the good shepherd. John records a final confrontation of Jesus with this hostile Jerusalem crowd here. The Feast of Dedication nowadays is called what? Hanukkah, or the Feast of Lights, the Festival of Lights. It commemorates the consecration of the temple by Judas Maccabeus in 165 B.C. 
after it had been desecrated a few years earlier by Antiochus Epiphanes. And the time for the eight-day feast then was now. It was December, it was winter. And the feast reminded the Jewish people of their last great deliverance from their enemies. And so some of these religious leaders, once again, they gathered around Jesus. And actually, the text is ending. They were closing in on him. They wanted to get him. They were determined to put him down. And some of these things he said plagued them, and they wanted him to declare himself on their own terms. How long will you keep us in suspense, they asked. And again, had Jesus said who he was? Yes, he had. But what? Because they would not believe. They wouldn't accept it. They didn't hear. They kept saying, if you're the Christ, tell us plainly. He says, I have. But if you won't believe my words, believe my deeds, believe my works, right? But Jesus says, well, you do not believe me because you are not my sheep. And this speaks to us again of this mystery of God's sovereign election. They did not believe him because they were not his sheep. But those who are his sheep respond to his voice. They listen to him and they have an intimacy with him and they understand the message of salvation and they follow him. So here we see then this wonderful verse here which speaks to our security in Christ. Jesus says of his sheep, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You know, as believers, we sometimes sin and stumble, don't we? We do. But Jesus, he is the good shepherd who loses only a couple of his flock, right? No. How many does he lose out of his flock? None. He loses none of his flock, and no one can snatch them out of his hand. Eternal life is a gift, and if you have it, you have it eternally. And we're told, you will never perish. This is a very strong affirmation in that original line. No way, no how can you ever perish. If you have life, you cannot perish. And no one can take it from you. And no one can take you out of my hand. Isn't it good to know that this security we have, though, it isn't based upon you or me or what we do. Who's it it depend upon? On Christ and his power and his faithfulness, right? But then Jesus says that he and the Father are one. And they recognize they properly that he was claiming to be God. And so they wanted to, bla- they wanted to stone him for his ab- alleged blasphemy, for saying, well, you being a man, make yourself out to, God, to be God. Well, if he wasn't God, that would be blasphemy, wouldn't it? But he was God. And so it wasn't blasphemy at all. It was simply the truth. So he says, I and the Father are one. He is not saying that he and the Father are the same person. They're not. The Father, the Son are two persons in the Trinity, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Instead, he was saying, I and the Father are one. He was indicating they have the closest possible unity of purpose. That is, Jesus' will is identical to the Father's regarding the salvation of his sheep. 
And so they have absolutely identical wills, an identical nature, but they are two persons, father and son, not the same person. So Jesus declares then, he says something that sounds a little strange to our ears now, that in the scriptures there are persons who are called gods, that is sometimes rulers or leaders were called gods. We see that in some of the Psalms, that human judges were sometimes called gods, small g. It's not saying that they're divine people, they're not. But Jesus says, if you see those in the scripture, and we know we're talking about human judges there, and we know that the scripture cannot be broken, that is, the scripture is correct without error, why then do you have a problem with me claiming to be the son of God? So Jesus declares them that these signs of what he was doing were given in order that they might ponder their significance and see who he is, that he is one with the Father, and that he has done these things because God the Father was with him. And again, they want to seize him because of his alleged blasphemy. So what does this tell us about Jesus, the good shepherd? Well, Jesus is the good shepherd who calls his sheep, and he calls them by name. I know that he has called many of us here in this room, and he's called you by name, Maureen, and Steve, Shelley, Rick, Linda, Lynn, Scott, Don, I could go on and on. He has called you by name. Perhaps some of you are hearing that voice today for the first time. He's calling you by name. He's calling you to come to him, to repent of sin and believe in him, trust in him. He calls his sheep, and then his sheep follow him wherever he leads, into the pasture. We're there in the pasture where he feeds his sheep. He nourishes our souls with his word and with his life. And he gives us eternal life, but he gives us abundant life as well. He calls his sheep. He feeds his sheep. He protects his sheep. He will ultimately deliver us from all that would harm us. And then he preserves his sheep. He says what? You will not perish no one can snatch you out of his hand. Isn't that good to know? You can't lose eternal life. And Jesus gives that eternal life to his sheep. You have, if your faith is in Jesus, you have eternal life now. You have it now. And you will experience it in all its fullness later. You have eternal life now but you will experience the fullness of that life later. When? When we go into his presence, when our bodies are raised and glorified, then we will experience the fullness of our eternal life. By the way, eternal life does not just mean life that goes on forever and ever and ever. It does, but that's not what eternal life means. Eternal life is what? It is a quality of life. It is eternal life a life of blessing and goodness and joy in the presence of God. That's eternal life. So what? What do do with this? 
Jesus is the good shepherd and the son of God who calls, who feeds, protects, preserves his sheep and gives them eternal life. So no, do you hear his voice? Did you hear his voice calling you to repent, to believe, to follow him? Maybe you're hearing that now. Maybe you're hearing that calling right now by name, saying, follow me. Rejoice in his life. He takes us to good pasture where he feeds our soul, he nourishes our soul and gives us life that we might have it to the full, abundant life, eternal life. But then rest in his sovereign care. There's so many things that come at us, right, that threaten us, want to harm us. But know that you cannot lose that eternal life because you're being kept by his power. You're not being kept by your own efforts. It's his power that is holding you firmly in his hand and nothing can ever take you out of his hand. Isn't that good to know? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we have eternal life through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you have called to us. Thank you, Lord, that as we respond to that call, that you hold us securely in your hand, that we will never perish and nothing can ever take us out of your hand. Lord, if there is someone here who perhaps is hearing your call, we pray for that person, Lord. We pray that that person would respond in faith and obedience to your call on their life. That they would repent of sin, turn away from sin, and turn to you, trusting fully in who you are and what you did for us. May we rest in the life that you have given us, eternal life, abundant life. May we rest in that good pasture. And may we rest in the knowledge, Lord, that we are secure forever in your hand. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.